intro, man. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It is the weekend be- between the Super Bowl and the NFC Championship games, and it's Pro Bowl weekend, and nobody cares about football here. That's an awful intro. I'm so sorry. I am Daniel, and I am accompanied by... Well, I'm Mike, but I don't want to... I just say, no one cares about... No, it's not no one cares about football. No one cares about the Pro Bowl, but NHL still challenged this the weekend with their All-Star game, so much better All-Star game. Just an awful weekend for sports. My name is Vincent, and I don't care about any of that shit. <laughs> no, he cares for five minutes when the Eagles are in the Super Bowl because he's from Center City. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. This is our show where we talk about comics and stuff. Moving right into the show with our retro book. All right. So our retro book this week is Avengers number 293, written by Walt Simonson, art by John Buscema and Tom Palmer. Uh, Palmer is doing the finishes. Uh, Buscema did the layouts for this. Buscema is a popular artist of mine, favorite artist of mine, and Walt Simonson, good writer as always. So... This is post-Roger Stern, correct, Vince? Yep. yep. Okay, so coming off the hype of, you know, Under Siege and um, Assault on Olympus, I believe, is the other story arc that came after that. Mm-hmm. We have just a little arc here, I guess, with Namor. This era, I like because, you know, Namor was an Avenger at this time. But Marina, his wife, has been turned into a huge monster that they're calling the Leviathan which is kind of reminiscent of the first Avengers movie. But yeah, so pretty much this whole issue is the Avengers trying to save Marina from being this giant monster. So, and Namor pretty much at this point has decided that he needs to stop Leviathan to save his people. And just goes back to Namor's, you know, constant, I guess, pursuit to keep his people safe, even though the person that, is the monster is his uh, wife. So that's kind of cool. Meanwhile, the Avengers are working with Hank Pym to create a cure. And the cure is pretty much like a DNA recombination device that's in a harpoon. So they literally joke about how they're going to go harpoon a whale, which is, you know, Marina. So I think that was kind of funny. You know, the Avengers at this point, just for anyone who doesn't know, you have Monica Rambeau as Captain Marvel. You have Dane Whitman as... um, Black Knight. You also have uh, Thor. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Doctor Druid. Is that who it is? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure I have him. Um, there's probably someone else. On, is Captain America on the team? Um, I'm not certain. So. Not in this. Not in these issues. Did you say She-Hulk? She-Hulk. I forgot her. Yeah. My bad. That was that was one thing I had left. But yeah. So that's kind of the team. Kind of a ragtag team at this point. But pretty much they go and they, you know, save her. And they actually use the thing and kind of, you know, gets her back to how she is. But then it, you know, at that point, we do a completely 360 to like a meeting with like a cross time Kangs. You know, they call them the Kang Corps, Corps, I guess. I don't know what that is. So and then we pan right back to this whole storyline with Namor Marina again, where they're taking her to the hospital, you know, in the ocean while she also turns back into the monster. And they end up subduing her again, but then she ends up dying. So that's kind of sucky. Um, and they find out that she laid eggs. So, like, there's a conversation. It's really weird how they're talking about, like, whose eggs those are. Like, if they're Namor's eggs. There's, I don't really know. It's really confusing. And at the end, Dr. Druid's like, oh, where the hell is Monica at, by the way? And that's how the issue ends. So I wouldn't say the writing here is the best. The storyline, I guess, is easy to follow, but there's just a lot of really weird filler shit going on here. So, not the best Avengers issue we've read yet, but yeah, I don't know what you guys think. I I didn't really like this. I think yeah. it was kind of a jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. I was talking about off air about how I think writers were coming in and working off of partial scripts written by Stern. And now knowing that, you can kind of get that from this. Not a great Avengers lineup, to be honest. Like, I like Monica. I like She-Hulk. Cap's not here. Monica Rambeau's not practically not even the issue. I know Black Knight is a long-standing, kind of crucial member of the Avengers from like the late 70s to the 80s, really through the 90s. 
but I, I don't love Black Knight. Doctor Drew, I don't care about. Dean <laughs> Whitman. I just not a character I like. How dare you, I was kidding. Yeah, so Doctor Druid is awful. Yeah. He's just terrible in, in every instance. And I don't know if you guys are even familiar that later in the nineties when he takes over secret defenders from Doctor Strange, he grows like a ponytail and gets de-aged. And that's even worse than this. Oh boy. Um but I like Black Knight. I love Black Knight. Um, well, I think he, he's got a great look. Like yeah. I, I prefer this version of him where he's not carrying around a weird lightsaber. I, I like the lightsaber too. Um, <laughs> I know you do. Like, because he's rocking the 90s Avengers jacket there. Well, and he can actually use the lightsaber. And that's a plot point here where it's like, yeah, Black Knight is a knight with a sword. But like, if he stabs someone with a sword, it like hurts him because this fucking stupid curse. But there's a badass scene. It's like badass, but also not. Like Namor, I mean, Black Knight has decided that he's going to like sacrifice himself, to, you know, take the fall for, not well, not take the fall, but he's he's going to kill Marina with his sword, with the sword and then, you know, hurt himself in the process. And Namor is like, no, let me kill my wife, but you're still going to get knocked out when I do it. <laughs> um, but the, the scene of Namor like flying down with a sword and there's like a couple panels where he's like, ha holds it up in the air. Like that's badass. No, look, that looked cool. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of pointless arc and issue. I mean, what Mike was saying that Roger Stern is basically the definitive of uh, Avengers writer of the eighties. He had like a run through like half the decade and that ended in 285. And so this it's a bunch later, but this isn't even like, this is Walt Simonson writing, but this isn't the official start of his run. He's still kind of like going off the fumes of Stern and also like dismantling what Stern had because it like, so here's the thing. I don't know that if you guys fully realize like Namor leaves the Avengers in this issue, like formally, but yeah. like that's not really acknowledged at all. He's just like, I'm going to go swim over here with my wife's, with my wife's corpse. Like there, there's no scene where he's like, yeah, you know, it was a great time hanging out with you all. And I just have to take a leave from the Avengers. And then there's, I mean, they're, they're teasing Captain Marvel stuff and she's shortly going to leave the team. Um, and then once you actually like get into Simonson's run, then the Inferno tie-in happens and it gets really weird because the team ends up being Captain America. Okay. Or wait, no, I don't even think it's cap. I, it might be us agent. But I think it's Cap. So Captain America, okay, you know, that's the Avengers. Gilgamesh, uh, okay. <laughs> and then uh, Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman um, for like five issues. And this, this is, and this is when they're supposed to be like chilling out doing nothing because they retired from the Fantastic Four to focus more on family and raise uh, Franklin. They join the Avengers. Yeah, this is a weird period of of this title for sure. <laughs> that sounds like an awful team. I'll, I'll give it a thumbs up though for council of Kings. Yeah. And that is building towards something where, so a character introduces themselves as Nebula here. And she's like the sexy female Kang, no relation to the Nebula that, uh, you know, that we know from guardians of the galaxy, like Thanos <laughs> grand, uh, granddaughter and everything. But that's a weird coincidence. It's just like, there's two Nova's, in the Marvel universe. And yeah, that, that eventually leads to a plot where like she seduces Dr. Druid and he betrays the team. And that's how he gets kicked off. The t that's how Simonson gets rid of him. Um, and then I think actually that stuff, like that arc um, with Nebula and Dr. Druid is sort of eventually related to the crossing. Um, but I, I don't remember the specifics. So we picked up, a weird issue of Avengers, but I think it was interesting to check in. Mm -hmm. And now our books of the week. Um, this is me. It is. All right. Amazing Spider-Man number 38. We have art here by Ivan Coelho. So, and I thought the art was good, was fine. It was actually good. Um, I think this book looks pretty nice, um, but continues to be a little strange and annoying that we're not getting the Otley, Gleason, merry-go-round that we were promised. I, I think it's part of it is that this book comes out so frequently. So like when it's not one of those two, it really stands out to me. But like 
I don't, I feel like we haven't gotten that much Gleason at all. So the story here is that as set up last issue, uh, J. Jonah Jameson is joining like a startup and media company called Threats and Menaces. And we actually get a flashback to nothing can stop the juggernaut at, at, at some point in this issue. But basically the Threats and Menace, their, their, their game is clickbait and fake news. And one of the examples is Hydrocap, um, which of course Nick Spencer. And the potential fake news here is that Spidey is seen robbing a bank, which stuns Jameson because Jameson's fully on Spidey's side now. He knows Peter's secret identity and everything, and, he, and he's, he's behind him. And we get a little subplot of Silver Sable recovering with the foreigner, but then the foreigner goes off to hang out with Chance, who has set up basically like a floating casino high above Manhattan. And they have all kinds of debauchery and especially a like sports betting thing on, on superhuman conflict. And so they make a bet on just like Spider-Man action for the rest of the issue. And foreigner loses like $10 million or something, maybe. So, you know, that'll probably lead to whatever next with Foreigner because he's not going to be uh, happy about that. And then during a fight, there's an epic scene where Jonah tries to save Spider-Man on a scooter. Uh, it's a really fun panel. And we also get a black cat footnote to the series that, that Dan reads. And that's interesting to see because mostly, probably mostly because Marvel just wants more books on the stands. They've kind of have built back up like a Spider-Man franchise. And this issue ends basically with the idea that Jonah is back to doing the old threat and menace thing, but in reverse, where it's like over the top fake news, but that makes Spidey look good. And so I think this is an interesting turn of events for Jonah. I'm excited to see how this goes forward with him. Though I'm not sure, I mean, we, we have lots of things brewing, but I'm not really sure where the overall plot goes exactly next. Um, at least not looking at solicits exactly as I say this, because I'm not, I'm not sure where we're slowly moving towards with Silver Sable and Foreigner, which is at, in the foreground here. Obviously, there are other things like Kindred, MJ coming back eventually, like, like a dozen other things that are in the background here. Uh, so I thought this was a great issue. Yeah, uh, another solid great issue from Nick Spencer, I think his commentary his social commentary still very great here with the kind of the fake news be, uh, pining for headlines. I thought that was really expertly done. And then also bringing Secret Vampire into it too. A little bit playing into the Captain America book by Coates as Steve Rogers is still trying to fight his public image over there. But uh, his work with jo Jonah throughout the run has been impeccably great. Like it's very, very solid and great. I, I thought the art was fine in this issue. A little miffed that Marvel's miscredited the cover it's clearly a patrick gleason cover you can see his signature on it but they credit it to otley here which i thought was odd but paying attention to solicits and i think they say at the end of this issue vince next arc should be focusing on the sin eater and i'm imagining that will also incorporate kindred stuff but dan thoughts <laughs> yeah no i mean i thought this was a pretty fun issue you know yeah, this is definitely a new dimension of J. Jonah Jameson that I haven't really seen before. So it's a new take. And uh, yeah, you know, this this run by Spencer is just really good. And, you know, I'm really enjoying it. Obviously, I, sh I came in about 20 issues late. But yeah, just a fun issue. And I'm excited for that Black Cat tease there, too. I'm excited to see how that will tie into this whole thing as well. So it's very nice to see the entire Spider-Man line under kind of a whole cohesive direction and kind of like a, a little bit of a renaissance here. Definitely. But going into DC with Batman number 87, James Tynan, the fourth Gullah March part two of James Tynan's opening arc. So everyone is on the heels of who this mysterious designer is. Who's stealing the plans that Bruce Wayne had laid out for Gotham city. Batwoman and Catwoman are investigating what's happening. We got these assassins mixed here with Cheshire and Deathstroke. They're like trapped up on a building. Riddler's contacted the Penguin to let him know something's going down. And he's totally nervous. He's like sick and all skinny. He kind of looks a little bit like how uh, Arthur Fleck from the Joker movie looks with his rib cage and contorting his body and shit. I don't know why he looked like that. I, I was not happy with Gullah March's art in this issue. I thought Penguin looked terrible. It was uh, putting way too many bird-like 
features on the penguin with the razor sharp teeth and stuff. I don't like that. I prefer his more traditional look. I think when he looks way too much like a bird, he reminds me of the Batman cartoon where he had like the mouth that goes like entirely across his face. I thought it, looked, it was a bad design. I hate it. And that's how he looked here. Um, but yeah, penguin just like kills all of his inner circle to, uh, to make sure that nothing's leaking out from him. But turns out Cheshire escaped in the last issue and wasn't captured with the rest of the assassins. And Batman's going on after her and all the people that were like, the, he puts them in this thing called the black box or this new. So they introduced this brand new prison security system. And I was like, oh, okay. So they'll immediately get out of this and it'll be shown that it doesn't work in 20 seconds. And that's exactly what happened uh, because the dummy Cheshire is made out of clay and it short circuits the whole damn thing in the black block holding facility. And now all the assassins come out and they've captured Harvey Bullock. So that's where we're going with that. I'm not loving this. It's it, it's coming off as someone who wants to make a, the, the big play action story, but I don't think is fully thought it through. It, it, it It's a little jumpy. It, it's I don't think it's cohesively flowing together. And it, it's nothing we haven't seen before. I don't think... We needed this big grand arc um, to kind of blow off for Tynan's run. He was, he, we've seen he can write good Batman. I don't know why it feels like this is like a Michael Bay movie where it's just like adrenaline pounding the whole time. And I'm just like, we don't need that. Yeah. I mean, I would say like the biggest thing with me, like you said, is that a lot of the, the story beats are nothing that we've seen before. I mean, I don't know how many stories I've read in comics with, prison breakouts and like you said it's just it was telegraphed from the beginning i'm just like they're talking about all these dna scanners and stuff i'm just like yeah they're gonna break out by this issue <laughs> it was like by i was like you introduced this on what page four and i was like all right by page 10 there this is not going to work yeah and, and that we like, true. yeah and if the whole arc is supposed to be about batman building a better gotham city and his new brand new holding facility immediately doesn't work. Doesn't make Batman look very great. That's all I'm saying. Like, also, I'm I'm the Harvey Bullock still being the commissioner of Gotham. Like, ugh, it's like there's elements of DC's continuity right now that just make me wince. Yeah, it makes you wonder when they're gonna bring all those characters back and you know just return everything to back to the status quo. But yeah, I know we talked about before offline about the art as well. You know, I really hope the artist from the from the first issue from this run comes back because yeah. I'm not I think Tony Daniel and Bella March are alternating. They are, okay. Cool. But I, I'm I mean I would still prefer someone else over either of them. Yeah, that's true. But keeping on Batman, what happened in Detective Comics? All right. Well, in Detective Comics we're finishing up a two part storyline that takes place at Christmas, but it is uh, almost the end of January, <laughs> so obviously something's, something's up here. But yeah, Bruce is attacked by this like giant Viking character that we were introduced to last issue. His name is Jollablot or something. And Bruce is able to subdue him by using water to shock him when he uses his axe. So some high science there, ladies and gentlemen. And as he is you know, being helped by Lucius fox he plucks a piece of hair off of this guy to use for sampling and he's kind of running the test to see who it is meanwhile we get a mysterious figure that is using a like a flaming whip kind of like the ghost rider chains I, I, that's the first thing that came to my mind when i saw it and he's like going around killing police officers um we don't get any like inclination who that is yet but Batman goes back to the botanical garden from the last issue to kind of like dig up some more evidence, I guess, when he is also attacked by these, by that same whip and like these, these like people. I can't really remember who they are. I don't really think it matters to me, at least. And like there's like this really crazy red monster. Batman gets into like a huge fight with them and he's able to reverse this one guy back to his normal self. I am butchering the summary. I apologize. I just wasn't after like after like the first half of this issue. I was just not really interested in the story anymore. <laughs> I know yeah, it's like awful. It wasn't great. 
Yeah. I need to apologize. Like the rundown was Batman fights giant monster and then everything hunky dory at the end. And the, yeah. this clearly like, okay, we need a holiday themed story. We're getting Two Face in the next issue. If I were to, I, I don't think it was a great. It wasn't a great week for either Batman book. Let's be honest here. Yeah, this this story was just. I feel like a lot of comics lose me when they just go to that like text box narration type of thing. Yeah, I just really can't get into that. I don't know. I mean, and we've seen better stuff from Pete Tomasi. We know Pete Tomasi's a better capable writer and Batman writer for this, and I'm sure he'll rebound with the Harvey Dent Two Face arc that's going to happen next. I will say though, Scott Kudlowski's art, I really liked, really good yeah. art here. Um, yeah. And I do appreciate Tomasi's characterization of Bruce as try, like he's still going through the morning of losing Alfred and it's very subtle and it like, he'll hit you with it and it's very good. Yeah. Like that one, that one page where he's going through the library. His, the library. I thought that was pretty, yeah. It's not like batting you over the head with it, but it's just mentioning it like here it is. And then let's move on. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I'm happy this is I, – I was worried. I know, like, when we did the first issue of this, I was really worried because I thought this was, like, going to be, like, five issues, and I was like, please, no. Having <laughs> so, I mean, two issues, I'm a little bit more forgiving on it, but still, yeah, not great. Yeah, thank God it's done. All right, family tree number three, um, which sounds nice when I say it out loud. I don't have a ton to say here. I mean, it's not – It's this isn't like a superhero book necessarily where there's a ton of plot moving forward. Um, we learned that the the little girl who has the tree infection thing, whatever, she can communicate with her father through like another plane of existence or something. So once you fully become a tree, you enter the tree world and live in a giant tree. It reminded I me felt a like I missed the green from the DC universe, if it makes sense. Uh, I felt like I missed half an issue maybe or something because the the last issue didn't end with the grandfather like looking at his hand or whatever which had like the remainder of his son or something uh yeah it did but they were also so, on the focused more of them on being on the run than the grandfather yeah. took seat this time yeah but like this issue literally starts with her communicating with her father and like she does act surprised and stuff but we never and this is the point, I suppose, but we never get explained, like, what is going on here? How does this happen? And the grandfather takes them all to New York to find a woman who may be able to slow the process down, but not cure it. And a beggar that the son gives a quarter to uses like a, or a, it's a payphone, I think. It has to be a payphone. For a second, I thought he was somehow using a laundry machine to contact someone. No, it was a payphone. <laughs> Um, I think that was just the, the angling of that panel, but he calls up people and a bunch of people are going to come up to New York with makeshift weapons and attack this little girl again, as we've seen. That's pretty much all that happens in this issue. It's just the, the development and the tease that she can communicate with her dad in this like alternate plane of reality. And that's about it. I, um, I mean, the main thing here, the, the appeal is that all the characters are um, still have pretty distinct voices and they're fun as well as the art from phil hester is really nice so good it's so good i i mean this is a top tier team like this is a fan favorite team for me so i when, when this was announced it was hard for me not to probably like it i knew i was gonna like it i'm enjoying it not a lot has happened over the first three issues but if i were to isolate each issue each issue is a well-made comic and it's entertaining and it wants me leaving coming back for more. I don't know what more else you could want from a creative team that you like. Yeah. I mean, I would, I mean, I, I guess we're not announcing our pick. Of the no, we'll do it yet, but I know this is yours. Yes. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I just really like this story. It's just, you know, with all these, these superhero books, it's nice to sit down and just, you know, read a comic about a, a family and, you know, just a crazy little premise here, but Yeah. It, it is. It's reminiscent of Lemire's Animal Man work, but it still plays with the themes that have run through his work of fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, kind of parent, parent to child. So he's keeping with like the stuff that we've known him for in his wheelhouse, but 
with a kind of pseudo horror kind of swamp thing element now to it. If that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So transitioning over, we get into another family of heroes, the guardians of the galaxy, which is a prevalent theme throughout this first issue. Uh, so the guardians are back and they're pretty much just chilling. You know, I guess they kind of have hung it up. I'm actually missing a little bit of gap in my guardians knowledge before this, this run. Uh, I don't really know where the status quo is of these characters right now, but obviously Vince and Mike can kind of educate me on that after the plot here, but they're chilling on planet Gamora and Peter kind of hanging out and they're, you know, they're kind of talking about just taking a break from the galaxy saving aspect of their lives. They just want to, you know, coast off in the sunset, not really worry about a lot of stuff. They're talking with rocket as well about it. And meanwhile, we have a like rogue, I guess Zeus character or Zeus that's on the loose and he and Nova is assembling a team to uh, stop them. And I guess this Nova is Richard Ryder at this point. So he goes around and like the Guardians have like, I think Phyla Vell, is that her name? She's on the team and Nova's kind of recruiting like her and Moondragon, but like, you know, kind of lets like the core Guardian characters kind of be like, yeah, you can chill. Like, I guess we don't need you guys because, you know, you guys have done enough for the galaxy. So some of them back out. And then, you know, that night Star-Lord is um, sleeping with Gamora. And before he walks out to go help uh, Nova, he actually is having like a dream about the, I forget what it is, like the Sun God, I think his name is, which I believe harkens back to like Star-Lord's origin, which is a little strange because I think we talked about this earlier where, the Peter Quill that's in these comics is not the same Peter Quill that was, or the, the same Star-Lord that was from the original comics, but that's a whole different topic that I won't go into. But, um, yeah, so Star-Lord eventually just decides to say, fuck it, I'm going to go and help Nova take down this, like, Zeus character that's terrorizing, like, Kree, Scroll area. I don't know, really, really know where it is, but... Yeah, we get a lot of cool scenes with like Nova fighting Zeus, and like, you know, Nova goes directly to Zeus as like a di diversion for like Peter and Philavel to all like kind of infiltrate this like floating city, I believe, to blow it up or something. Um, Marvel Boy is there, and you know they're about to get captured, and you know they're pretty much like down their luck, like they're all surrounded by, you know, Zeus's minions and stuff. And they encounter Hercules, which is kind of cool. We get like the the old fashioned text from his like 1980s miniseries. So I'm really excited to see that Hercules is in this book. You know, a lot of people associate him with the Avengers, but you know he's also had a lot of cosmic adventures. So I'm excited to see how they use him in this Guardians run. The Bob Layton miniseries are not in main continuity. Oh well, never mind. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I like this. It's different. Oh, I forgot to mention Al Ewing's the writer, which I, I do like his writing. And Juan Cabal is the uh, artist. I thought his art was pretty good. Uh, the faces I, th I thought were a little rough in some areas. But other than that, I thought it was pretty solid. And uh, yeah, just excited to read another Guardians run. The last run I read like all the way through was Bendis. I really like that. I know that probably paints a divide amongst some of our hosts here, but I thought it was pretty good and just excited to see more about these characters. So, Well, th this book had me excited because, Vince, remember an Avengers book we read last year that we really enjoyed? Yep, No Road Home, which uh, the cosmic Greek pantheon stuff, which was teased at the very, very end of that, is picked up. And I feel like at, at a certain point, you know, I, I should have known that it was popping up here. And back then, we probably even guessed, like, hey, you know, Ewing could write Guardians one day. And that may have been before the Kate's run even started. But yeah. I, so I was actually entirely surprised to see it here. And it actually took me like halfway through the book to realize, oh, that's like actual Greek god Zeus from this new status quo. And, and remember that for a while, I was, and especially in the beginning when, when it's like he shows up to that Cree planet, I'm like, because he has, because he, Zeus has blue skin now, so I'm like, okay, Zeus, it's some Cree thing that I'm not recognizing. Um, so it took me a while to figure it out, but once I did, I was interested. I think Marvel Boys is a smart addition. Yeah. 
it is a smart addition. I like it. It throws it a little bit off balance and provides new ideas. Because really, we've outside of him, it's we've seen these characters on a Guardians team. It's going back to two thousand six. And I think I think I mean technically he's been like this for a while, but I like Nova Rich Rider's characterization now, where he's kind of just like he's like the ultimate haggard veteran. Like he's just constantly dealing with cosmic scale threats. And it just like bums him out, and 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 he he gets like really, like, there's a moment where he's like talking about galactic politics, and he and it's like it's like he's stressed out about it and everything, and it's just funny to me. It's funny. It's always funny to think how far he's come because obviously I I will make the obligatory New Warriors reference, but even before that, like his original run, he is a Nova, but like the concept of the Nova Corps isn't 100% set up and he's like a teenager who lives in New York and is, does mostly New York stuff in that original 70s run. So it's just funny to think that, you know, now he's sliding timescale, whatever. He's got to be twice as old as that maybe and has been through so much shit. And I also like, I mean, Ewing is always good with this. We get lots of, uh, references to other stories that he's written or that others have written both recently and long ago. Um, we get a flashback panel from when Star-Lord and Rocket for, met for the first time ever. Um, obviously, Dan said we get that kind of like fake, like dream version of the original out of continuity Star-Lord origin. And obviously, the, uh, the cosmic Greek stuff was coming from nowhere at home. And we get a footnote and a full panel when Nova shows up referencing Annihilation Scourge, which recently wrapped up. So I, th I think that's often a strong suit of Ewing, especially on these like Avengers and cosmic books. So, and, and we also get teases to some of the stuff generally that's happening with the Kree and the scroll and everything like that and slowly moving us towards the empire. Yeah. I mean, it didn't like wow me, but I really enjoyed this, this, but but it, it's hard to say because Ewing also he still has a a level of humor to this Guardians book, which is a major thing since Bendis slash since the movie, and everyone seems to have a different take on it. Um, you know, like Jerry Duggan had Drax playing the saxophone, which is a, he didn't create that. That's a thing, but like he really leaned into that. And then here we have uh, some other commentary, and I feel like Drax. Drax is writ being written a little movie like here, which annoys me. You only had a couple lines though. Yeah, but we will see. I don't, it's hard. It's very hard to please Guardians fans. I, I thought as as far as issue number ones go, I think this is as solid as number one issue you can get. I'm excited for what's to come next. I'm definitely intrigued by it. Uh, I don't think it's a stranger to to us that I I think we're all relatively big Al Ewing fans. Me being maybe the biggest from Immortal Hulk, and I love No Road Home. So seeing him continue his work through that, plus from what I read of Ultimates, I, I like Ultimates a lot. And he, he's a proven guy that can write a team book too. I, 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 I'm very happy to see where he goes with this. And I, the characterization that he has with Rocket and Star-Lord, I really like. It's just they're two friends that really you can't separate them from each other because they're both – they're more like each other than everyone else is, which I like. I kind of liked what, where he was going with that. Yeah, th that was the other continuity stuff that I was thinking about is a lot of things related to Rocket because a lot of it is picking up from Donny Case run where like the whole tease the entire time was, hey, Rocket's going to die. But then he got surgery or whatever. But also the fact that he's wearing a suit goes back to when Al Ewing did a Rocket Raccoon miniseries when they were like really pushing like and made a miniseries for like every single fucking Guardians character. Um, yep. And Al Ewing did that, you know, obviously everyone, people knew who Al Ewing was back uh, at the time as well, but you know, Immortal Hulk hadn't hit yet. So he wasn't like fully broken in and, and one of the top names. And so that's, I, that's hit the major thing he's bringing. I'm, at that time, Al Ewing was the guy who's everyone liked his book, and then his book would get canceled before it really got off the ground. That was the th that was the case with Ultimates, U.S. Avengers. A little bit was like that. Yeah, so that's that. I'm excited to see how Hercules factors in and what other characters could potentially get pulled into this. 
I was gonna say I think I think Hercules is a great addition. And the minute I knew I saw Zeus, I was waiting for when he was gonna join the book because I knew we Hercules was coming. But I'm excited. Into the X Men corner, we only had two this week, Vince. That's nice because the they they just keep announcing titles every week. <laughs> Marauders number six, Jerry Duggan and Matteo Lolly. So it's like jumping right back into the action from the last issue, uh, issue five where the Marauders were trying to help and save Shinobi Shaw. We're still in the fight there as kind of everything's blowing up and going crazy around them. It's the, what's his name? The He's the head of the Reavers, right? That they're, that they're fighting on the boat. Donald Pierce. Yeah, Donald Pierce. He's he's with the Reavers, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they, Kitty fights uh, Donald Pierce and they kind of, they, they win and they kind of start figuring out, okay, we have two boats now. We got to put, we got to tow them both to Krakoa, but also we got to figure out what's going out in Madripoor. So Kitty takes the boat she commandeered from the, the people they were fighting to go sail it back to Madripoor while the Marauders take the Marauder, that's the name of their boat, back to Krakoa to kind of shave Shinobi Shaw. And then Sebastian Shaw walks out of the corner as he was posing as one of the soldiers that was on the ship attacking and he kind of lays out his master plan. He, Kate Pride is captured. Uh, Lockheed is thrown in, in a bag, just thrown to the bottom of the ocean. And he sends Kate to the bottom of the ocean because he's not going to have uh, another person installed as a Red Queen. He wants another bishop piece on his table. So it's the first instance of one of the more classic X-Men bad guys fully going bad now. So that's all right. He, he's the first one to make to make the call, so he's fully bad at this point. So I can, he'll be uh, he'll be joining uh, Sabretooth probably in the in the bottom of Krakoa soon after all this goes down. But yeah, it doesn't look good for Kate Pride at the end of this as she's strangled under the water and playing into the theory that since she can't get through the portals to Krakoa, they might not be able to bring her back. So this is all it's, this is a pretty big cliffhanger here. But I still enjoyed it. I definitely still my favorite of the X books across the line. Yeah, um, I wasn't super impressed by this issue. There is a cool moment where Yellow Jacket, which I guess is like the new like retcon, not retcon, but like the inserted in villainous version of Yellow Jacket, which I think Nick Spencer brought in in his Ant Man run. Yeah, but I do love him. He's working for Pierce and the Nazi dudes, I guess, and he. Well, gets, also, well they're working for the the Kid Hellfire Club. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he gets injected into Pyro's blood, uh, so they'll the Hellfire the mini Hellfire Club will have recon on Koa, and um, yeah, and then Iceman says that he's going to be a judge on Drag Race. And uh, and then the the whole theory that Shaw is kind of uh, hinging all this on is that he thinks that Kitty can't be resurrected since she can't go through the gates. There's got to be something you know linking those and something wrong with her. It's a theory. I think it, I think this issue is also having Kitty kind of start learning that she's not as invulnerable as she thought she was. She was coming off very kind of you could say a little bit pompous and overconfident in her role throughout the run. She was a little bit hard, had a rougher of an edge. She was, we've seen her clearly drinking. So I think this is the hubris kind of hitting her to take her down and have her learn a lesson here, which I, at least that's where I'm taking how Duggan's going to play this as it goes on, because we've seen, it's definitely been a different type of Kitty pride. It's not been the th traditional one we've seen. Yep. All right, so Excalibur number six. I feel like this issue opens with a tiny bit of a time skip because suddenly yeah. Excalibur is at like a full-blown war with Morgan Le Fay in Otherworld. Apocalypse yeah. gets revived real quick because if you remember the Quiet Council, you go to the front of the line. Yep. <laughs> and he shows up and basically uses diplomacy and resolves the war, well, proposes to have Betsy and Brian fight to the death. Now this is complicated because, you know, if if it was just like I don't, if the war just ended and there were e like equal terms, like 
you know, chill out no matter what the outcome, as long as someone died, then she could just die. She could die and lose since she could be resurrected, but that doesn't, it doesn't, that's not the setup. So she has to essentially kill her brother who is not a mutant. So if she does that, he's fucked. Um, and she starts fighting him just assuming, Hey, maybe Cyclops, uh, Apocalypse has a plan and she stabs him and Shogo starts. So Betsy Braddock stabs her brother, holds him in his arms. And then Shogo starts breathing fire everywhere. And I feel like this scene is very close to the final scene of Game of Thrones. That's just something that went through my mind. Scene of Game of Thrones, so it's kind of, sort of close to what happens, but not really. And suddenly, Apocalypse proclaims that Jamie Braddock is on the throne of Otherworld, who then resurrects his brother. So no sweat on that whole he's not mutant thing. But only after Betsy threatens his balls. So that was a funny scene. And then he puts jester hats on people just to be funny. I thought that was a funny panel as well. And then this issue, like, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, this is issue six. So this is the end of the arc. Yeah, we get a, we get the Return of the King ending where we had like five endings. Yeah. and then, But we also forgot like two of the characters for this book to give an ending to. It was weird. Yeah, we have Rogue and Gambit having sexy hot spring sex. And there's discussion about... Wait, 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 no. They they were just in a tub. <laughs> well, and then they have sex as the yeah, same... Yeah, fades out, but don't... Yeah. Um, I mean, well, they're both obviously naked in the entire yeah. time. Um, but the particular discussion here is Rogue talking about how she doesn't want a baby. And that ties into the whole Krakoan thing where it's like, you know, with Before. our... Yeah, with all our advanced science and me getting my powers back into control, it could hypothetically be possible. And there's also make more mutants. But Rogue's like, yeah, I don't really want that right now, if ever. But the emphasis on that, especially since she does have her powers in control, so it's not like that kind of conversation where she's like, I want it or I could consider it. But, oh, no, anxiety, you know, we can't do that because of my powers. Since... I think the emphasis on here, it, I feel like it's a long-term tease. Um, but I'm not sure how they play I that. It was a, I thought it was kind of an adult discussion for both of them, and I, I liked it, though. Yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was good. I thought it was mature. Um, but I think really, like, how we have two full pages and it's a serious conversation. And I also want to note that um, I basically read this exact same conversation in a certain way in – the Aquaman book last week. Oh, that's right. Which was a flashback, and then in the in the current timeline of Aquaman, they're about to have a baby. So I can't help but think that maybe this is a, a little inkling of a tease, and she'll they'll change their mind, or I don't know how they would play this and not make it come off weird. But maybe you know they have like not an accident, but like oh, Rogue's pregnant now. Didn't necessarily plan it, but like you know you gotta work with that and that would be a mature storyline to go down as well um but then to end here we get an ending for um captain britain and she and brian are hanging out and they have a heart to heart and brian is essentially going back to his og og captain britain costume um like full-on marvel uk uh era and then the final thing here is that apocalypse is dissecting Morgan Le Fay alive and presumably has something to do with all the chimera stuff way, way down the road. Like this is the early stages of his research toward that. Um, but it's weird because Rogue also has a moment earlier where she says something about like wake, like having a nightmare where she wakes up in a bed and she's being like experimented on. So for a second, I thought like Apocalypse somehow had like a clone of Rogue. Um, but then you read the text page and it makes it 100% clear this is Morgan Le Fay. Um, yeah, I thought this book was good. Um, I still really like this book. Uh, it is pretty I mean, removed. I, I like this. Yeah. It, it's the most removed besides, I mean, again, we don't read Fallen Angels, um, which is should be ending very soon anyway. Uh, but yeah, this was cool. And I'm excited to see where this goes forward because you really have like – 
this Braddock family thing now um, because Jamie will presumably be way more of an ongoing presence in this book now that Apocalypse has been put him in that position and his brother and sister have an intrinsic link to that, to Otherworld and everything. So first arc down, I'm excited to see where we go next. Also, I know that it wasn't like a full-on like uh, Carol Danvers thing, but Rogue, like very quickly between scenes, it's like, oh, Apocalypse face is gone. Um, yeah, it was a temporary thing with her powers. Yeah, which I'm happy about. Um, I was worried that that was going to be like, oh, Rogue Apocalypse for like eight issues. Yeah, we were worried how long it was going to last. But even still, I thought it was weird yeah. that there was... There was no acknowledgement when it disappeared. It was just between pages. I liked the uh, I liked the idea of bringing Brian's other costume for his kind of new look. Now that Betsy took the more classic Captain Britain look, yeah, I thought that was a really cool idea, and I, I'm excited what they do with Brian. And I'm happy that he's going to stick around as a face in this book and not just be relegated to the sidelines. Yeah, I want to see more of Megan and um, I forget the kid's name though, but I want to see more of them as we move forward, because uh, Betsy says that they're going to Krakoa, and I think Brian's going to Krakoa as well, even though, again, he's not mutant, but they, you know, he can show up on the island just like Kitty, and he'll be, like, the single exception on the island, a non-mutant living there. Yeah. Uh, the one thing about the costumes is I don't like either of them wearing helmets. Uh, yeah, I, I've never been a... Yeah, the, the helmet on Betsy looks a little odd. Yeah, on, on Betsy it looks odd, and of course... She looks cooler without the helmet, honestly. Yeah, and e even though obviously her design has changed because she switched bodies again, the purple hair is just so iconic. So just let it let it be out there. And um, Brian obviously has more of a history wearing a mask slash helmet, but it's the way that these two particular helmets are drawn, where they're they're more bulky. I don't really like them. You can clearly tell it's a helmet. It's not like some that it looks like a it looks you know what it looks like it looks like Juggernaut. The way Juggernaut's helmet's drawn. Yeah, a little bit. All right, that's X Men Corner. Uh, solid week. And Wonder Twins number eleven. Mark Russell Stephen. It's the pen ultimate issue. One more to go, as we're taking down the Colonel eighty six computer program, which has taken over the internet and is just wreaking havoc on the world. The two the the two people that the the married couple that um, bought the bought the Colonel eighty six computer. It's having the it starts investing their funds in its owners because it's its owner. So they invest it in Blockbuster because it's from the 80s. So it's thinking what things are good now. So like it was like just like a string of great comic bits over and over. It overtakes a plane's computer and just full out crashes it. So Superman and Green Lantern have to save the save the plane. And then it the, the couple that bought the computer is it's a gay couple. And the eighty Colonel eighty six is a huge bigot, so he just starts annulling just gay marriages across the United States too. It was just like this thunderous like zoom zoom thing of just like multiple like cuts of like really funny moments. Like there's one moment where the Wonder Twins and Philo and Polymath are just sitting in a bar, and you see the plane crash and people are running on fire after. Like it was the weirdest, most funny book this week. I had to stop several times because I was laughing so hard. But the Wonder Twins and Polly and Philo are able to work together to stop the Colonel 86 program as they track it down to kind of like the full like out physical buying records back they have at the public library. So they just flop. <laughs> Shana turns into a, a rescue ram and uh, butts down the door because uh, the program has everything on lockdown because the whole house has smart locks and... <laughs> the robots that are inside there and Jan <laughs> ends up flooding the entire house, which just ruins it. But Hey, they saved the day, right? Just another, just clearly funny. Moment. And then we, we get the intercut moments with the, the Lex and balances on the, the Lex Luthor run cable show as they're trying to spin this as a positive light, kind of like it, basically this DC's version of Fox news, which just great stuff for Mark Russell and Stephen Byrne all around here. One of the best books DC's put out this year. And really going back to last year. Uh, it's going to be sad to see it go when it hits its final issue next next time. But loved, love this, love this, love this across the board. You know, all the, I think I mentioned this in the previous shows, all the non-Bendis books in the Bendis line are some of their best books. Yeah, like 
seriously, I think Vince, you need to go back and read this. Like it, it is, it's really smart and funny. Yeah, I'll, I might try it again when it's all done. All right, so now the big release of the week. We've got um, Wonder Woman 750, the big Hallmark issue. And so we have nine stories here, right? Yeah, we're going to – I'm going to talk – here, I'll talk first on the story that I like, and then you can do yours. So of the – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through all the stories. Uh, we had the Wild Hunt finale, which was Steve Orlando and Jesus Marino from from Small Things, Mama, Gail Simone, and Colleen Durand. The interrogation, Mariko Tamaki and Elena Casagrande, which I posted a panel of that on our Instagram page this week. Some of our favorite panels. Never Change by Greg Rucker and Nicola Scott. To Leave Paradise, Kami Garcia, Phil Hester. Emergency Visit, Shannon Dean Hale and Riley Rossimo. To Me, which was Margaret Bennett and Laura Brega. Always, Vita Eliella and Mancy Nalpan, and Brave for New World, which is Scott Snyder and Brian Hitch. My favorite of these was these Brave New World, which was by Scott Snyder and Brian Hitch. I just said that, but I was surprised this was my favorite one. Is it uh, takes a shot from what Doomsday Clock just did, to my understanding, with uh, Diana's new continuity uh, staple. Story starts... And the 1940s with FDR about to deliver an address contemplating an assassination attempt because he's worried he might uh, uh, get assassinated. This is, I believe, in a World's Fair. Yeah, 30, 39 World's Fair. Um, as And one, and he's wondering how he's going to end his speech because there's this, an idea of where he's going to push a button and doves are going to fly out. And he's like, I, this kind of seems hokey to me. But as he goes to give the speech, um, we do. there is an assassination attempt. And full-out Golden Age Wonder Woman jumps out and saves them. And the story shifts to a narration pattern kind of praising and telling us how she inspired the age of healers to come to fruition. As the story ends with Alan Scott in the crowd wearing his green lantern ring, seeing her in action. Now this now cements Diana as the first hero in the DC universe, not Superman. Yeah. Well, I mean, Superman being first has always, I mean, that's, a limited thing in different continuities as well. Right. Um, I mean, that was a thing on Earth 2, and that was a thing in the new 52, I guess. But obviously not in, you know, post-crisis New Earth because you have the JSA. Um, yeah, this is straight up Golden Age Wonder Woman. She's wearing a skirt, and she has her Golden Eagle insignia instead of the double W. Yep. I don't know how I feel about this. And this is weird, too. And the comparison I think it works. That's the thing. I think it works. The comparison to Superman is interesting because... Post crisis, you know they restart, they reestablished and restarted a lot of continuities. So this the key early Superman story is Man of Steel, and it's all it's all flashback. John Byrne here's a miniseries. This is when Superman was felt came to Earth, and then he grew up, and then he went to Metropolis, etc. And then when the Superman titles actually start, he's been a hero for a tiny bit, and he's and it's in the present. The Batman, you have year one, and that origin is backdated. The thing is with Wonder Woman, and there are a few other characters this applied to, like Hawkman, who became, who it affected him a lot more, and he became a mess. But post-crisis, the Wonder Woman story started in the present with an origin. So she actually, post-crisis, like entered the superhero world and, and, and came to man's world after well after Batman and Superman started being superheroes. And so that's why post-crisis you had her not as a founding member even of the Justice League. You had right. her by Black, Canary. by Black Canary. So she's kind of, I mean, they, you know, they've yanked her back and forth. And then eventually John Byrne was like, okay, but Hippolyta went by Wonder Woman and was the Golden Age Wonder Woman in the Justice Society. But yeah. like memory shenanigans and, and whatever. So... I mean, it's hard for me to react too much to this just because DC's, like, grasp on continuity, is, it's just so loose right now that... It's so loose, and it, it, it's hard. It, it's it's disappointing for a top-pillar character that they like to position as one of them. She's always gotten the short shaft compared to Batman and Superman, like, that, which is disappointing. But also, like, her origin, they keep fucking with it. Like, who knows if this is still going to be canon five years down the road hell even at the end of the year we don't know yeah 
I have no idea, though. It, it would be interesting to see, like, I mean, we don't really know what Snyder's doing next. There's heavy rumors that he's doing, or I think he is doing something with Capullo again, and it's heavy rumors it's like Metal 2 or whatever. Um, but I think he might be soft confirmed working with Hitch on something bigger, maybe. Obviously, both of them will have something to do in the DCU. And based on how the, his Just League run ends and everything like that and things he set up, maybe he goes in this direction where he goes dives into the JSA or something. We've seen him use the JSA already in Justice League. Yeah. So my favorite story here is the Gail Simone and Colleen Duran one. It was a good one. Um, which features Star Blossom, who's a character. This is her second appearance. She last appeared and was created by the same creative team in the 75th anniversary special for Wonder Woman, which came out in 2016. And I don't fully understand her powers. She's like, she's like Green Lantern, but she can just make flowers appear out of nowhere. And I guess, like, some of it is like a is realistic, where she's like, yeah, I put out the fire by selecting flowers with the most water content. But then other times, it's like, like she's creating like flower slides, and people don't seem to be falling through them or anything. So who knows how it works? Doesn't really matter. It's a it's really cool power visually. And she basically, just by happenstance, happens to be around and saves some people from a burning building and gets the assist from Diana. And Diana goes to hang out with, with her family and just kind of enjoyed mac and cheese. And Diana gets news from her mother who shows up telling her that her like childhood friend Megalodon Shark died which was very interesting, but it's also cool. Like it shows that how like the mascara is like totally like Greek mythology slash fantasy land, you know, where Diana could have a childhood shark friend. But these two characters, they connect and share their different experiences and everything. And there's also a little bit of a tease of Star Blossom joining the Teen Titans or some iteration of a superhero team down the line, or maybe soon, you never know. Um, I mean, the current Teen Titans run is ending, so you never know, like, if Gail Simone is going to pick up Teen Titans uh, or something soon. But, yeah, I, I actually really like this. Um, it's a, There's a little bit of some wonkiness in the storytelling, and Colleen Duran's art, it's just not, like, 110% there, but the, the heart in this, I, I just really love this story. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I do want to give a shout-out to all the artists. I th- it looked like, when I was looking at the credits, all like it like all, like major percentage if not all of them also did the inks for themselves for their stories as well no no other inkers so it was pencil and ink by whoever did their story also inked it that looks like which is pretty like that's crazy yeah and then i'll just qu- i'm not going to do synopsis not going to provide that much but i'll just quickly run down some of the other key stories and quick comments the main story in the first story is the final part. In fact, I think it's part five of a story from Steve Orlando and Jesus Marino, who are mm-hmm. the ongoing team. And it involves Cheetah and Hera and Silencer, which I, I think it's cool at least that someone is using one of those characters on right. a basis. But otherwise, part five, I felt totally lost. I don't really have any comment on it. It looked pretty nice. And it seemed, I know Dude, Orlando's a fan. Amazing. <laughs> and then there was a great Grucka story, and he's joined by Nicola Scott. So it's more relevant to his rebirth run than his pre infinite crisis run. And also deals with Circe, or also deals with Cheetah, and this time with Circe as well. And I think this, this like setup for Cheetah, that, uh, that, that origin where she's more connected to Diana and everything. I think that's a post-rebirth Rucka thing. And in the Cami Garcia and Phil Hester story, I want to comment on some things there. First of all, you get an actual Nubia appearance, which I feel like it, it's almost it's a, almost one of those ironic cases where Nubia is a character that more casual fans are familiar with because she's like seen as a somewhat like unique part of Diana's lore. But in reality, like within comics, she very, very rarely appears. This is probably like her sixth official appearance ever, unless she's had a bunch in Rebirth that I'm not following up with. 
Um, so that was interesting. And then also Hester's art here is quite different here with Andy Parks than it is over in Family Tree, where I think he's, in Family Tree, the credits are not specific. So he's, he's collaborating in some manner with Eric Gapster. I don't know if someone's inking, someone's finishing, I don't know the specifics, but his art looks different here than that book, which we also read this week. It looked good though. And we also, in this Cami Garcia story, we see a panel with two Amazons making out, which I think is interesting to note. Um, again, I'm not sure if there's been some of that in like the Rucker run and, and post that, but obviously that's something that's always been like implied or assumed, but never, you know, they never focus on that. And the Riley Rosmo story, two comments on that. Someone says Yeet and Guy Gardner is on the league and being a little nice Guy Gardner, classic dickish. And, and then I feel like it's just worth noting that there is a bombshell story in here, um, which yeah. is interesting. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I really like Laura Braga as an artist, um, but I didn't actually read that full story because I, I don't care about bombshells. That bombshells design on Wonder Woman is actually a really cool design. Yeah, all, all the designs are actually really cool. I mean, they have... It's it's just like black and uh, Batman black and white where it's like they made a series and the series is good but like it's also a major driver of like statues and figures. Yeah. So that's Wonder Woman. Um, Dan, do you have any interest in providing any quick Wonder Woman seven fifty thoughts? I know you didn't read the full thing. Um. Yeah, I skimmed the first the first story. Wasn't a huge fan. Don't really have a lot of background. Of story. <laughs> what? It was part five of a story. Yeah, I was say it's kind of not the best one to start off with, but yeah, I didn't really get a chance to. But um, yeah, I, th I thought the art was all right, but yeah, not really knowing a lot of the characters kind of sucked. But. It was disappointing. Like, I wanted this to be better than Detective because I thought Detective like wasn't great as far as like. Comparing this to the big celebration issues, uh, comparing to this Detective 1000, Action 1000, I think Action still was the best. And I, I'd sadly have to put this below Detective. Yeah, the, out of those three, this is definitely number three, without a doubt. And it's hard because I think because you constantly have creators changing Wonder Woman and switching up on Wonder Woman, like you had you had a little bit of returning creators. I mean, Ray Rucka. Story? Like that was. That was disappointing. Yeah. Wait, what did you say? I said you couldn't get George Perez to do a story? Well, he's like semi-retired, and I think he has Matco degeneration issues. Okay. So actually... I just He could have writ written. Yeah, he could have written maybe or, or done a... He could probably manage a pinup. Um, but yeah, no George Perez representation uh, besides one of the decades covers um, is a little disappointing. And then there's other examples like... Uh, Phil Jimenez, I think maybe he has a pinup, but he's not represented here. And then it's, I don't know. I mean, nothing with Diodato. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. You really could have gotten something cool and gotten Brian Boland to do something. Yeah. Well, it, again, he has one of the decade covers, but, yeah. but I mean, if, you know, if he did like a two page story, that would be two pages of Brian Boland. Yeah. I was going to say, like, what? I think this is more of a thing of what, what I think our our analysis of Detective was it didn't feel special because it was the same creators we've seen before on Batman. This was at least it's somewhat everyone connected with Wonder Woman, but I I think Action was the one where I felt like a full celebration of the character. Like I got a different era of Superman in every story. This one kind of felt it was still all Rebirth all the way through. Yeah. It, it just, and I don't know what it is, like, and obviously the other ones were 1,000. This is a 750. And we'll see. Nothing to, to, nothing to uh, yeah, shake. Nothing. Yeah. Um, and we'll see how Flash ha works out. But, like, I feel like, and again, this goes back to the tragedy of, like, how DC has handled this character over the years, despite the massive success of the movie. Like, I didn't, I didn't feel any hype for this. No. I was like, I was a little hype. I was like, all right, well, so one over seven fifty. Let's see what we got. But in the back of my head, I was like, it's, 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 it's not what you're gonna want it to be. And I will, I do want to criticize it. And one last part was like, I think at least four of the stories here had Cheetah in it. 
Yeah, that was weird too. And under, I mean, somewhat villain in the movie. Yeah, um, I mean, there's that, and also like Wonder Woman doesn't have, especially for you know mainstream fans, she doesn't have a huge. Rogue she, has, she has Ares. That's it. Yeah, and they tapped most of them here. I mean, we see Cheetah, we see Ares, Circe, Silver Swan, no uh, Doctor Cyber, Doctor Poison. Yeah. Um. Despite the flashback story, no like Nazis or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad to read it. Um, and glad we got a one woman seven fifty. Yeah, we'll we'll see how Flash and then the. Uh, I know we're getting a Robin eightieth. I know we'll probably read those. I don't know if we'll read the Joker one. We probably will. You probably will. <laughs> All right, let's do. Pick of the weeks, and then we'll wrap it up. So my pick of the week is going to be Guardians, and my runner-up would be Amazing Spider-Man. My pick is Wonder Twins number 11. My runner-up would be Guardians. Uh, mine is Family Tree number 3, and runner-up is also Guardians. So <laughs> I think as far as big releases go this week, it was Wonder Woman and Guardians from the big two. I think that's it was a fine week. And then uh, we, we'll, we'll wrap up. January next week? Yeah, 29th. All right, everyone, thanks for watching this episode. Tune in next time and get home safe. Peace.